John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you will, please, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. In Luke, chapter 18, I want to start unpacking, if you will, um, maybe something that I know the majority of Baptist churches don't deal with a whole lot. And it's the whole issue of Lent, the whole season of Lent. And we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 18. I'm not going to read that scripture as of yet. But I want to, I want to, today, I want to kick off a, a series. Now, now Lent, for most of you, you know, started on Ash Wednesday. And it's a 40-day period from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. And if you count it up, you'll realize that's more than 40 days. But you do not count Sunday. Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Sunday is not included in the 40-day count. And you go back to where Ash Wednesday was to Easter Sunday. And that season has been traditionally, and I'm real heavy on the term traditionally because that's really kind of all it is. It's just religious tradition that's been handed down for centuries. Um, but it's just that, that tradition, that time when we just set aside some time to focus on the suffering and the death and then ultimately the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as we enter into this Easter season. Now, as Baptists, for the most part, Baptists, don't do a whole lot with Lent. It's more in your liturgical churches, uh, uh, the Catholics, the Lutherans, some Methodists, not all Methodists, uh, are involved in, very much involved in this whole season of Lent. Everywhere I go, I mean everywhere, even McDonald's, the number one advertisement for McDonald's right now, you can probably tell me is what? A fish sandwich, right? And why are they doing that? Well, they're, they're capitalizing <laughs> on the spiritual traditions of our community so they can make a dollar is really all they're doing. But people are sacrificing things. They're putting aside things, whether it be red meat, whether it be chocolates, whether it be their favorite TV show, whether it be Facebook. They're sacrificing some things during Lent to, to make a sacrifice. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and slam that. You know, I, I'm not. If you need to put away something to show your love for Christ and to remember him, then, hey, I'm okay with that. At least you are thinking about spiritual and heavenly things. I personally think I would be a fool to sit up here and slam that. Although I think we've got to understand that Lent is far deeper than that. So I'm going to begin a series from now to Easter Sunday simply titled A Biblical Perspective on Lent. And I want to try to glean from God's Word a biblical worldview on this season that we're going through. Not what a denomination may or may not be doing. Not what a religious group of people may or may not be doing. But what does God's Word have to say about this whole subject, this whole season that, that we call Lent? By the way, let me give you a few facts here about the season of Lent. Lent is a time to focus on the, as I've already mentioned, the suffering, the death, 
and ultimately the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the original period, it was a 40-hour period. When it first originated, it started with a 40-hour period of fasting up until the resurrection Sunday that was celebrated. Early in the 3rd century, it went from 40 hours to 6 days of prayer and fasting and thinking about the suffering and the death and ultimately the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In 800 A.D., Lent was changed from 6 days to 40 days. And of course, Lent, I've already shared with you, started on Ash Wednesday and it goes all the way through Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and you count back 40 days to get to what would be known as Ash Wednesday. You do not count Sundays because that's Resurrection Sunday. And that period of time is what is called the season of Lent. Now, the 40 days corresponds with the 40 days that Jesus was tempted while he was out in the wilderness. You remember when he was out there being tempted by Satan for the 40 days and 40 nights and the suffering and the correspondence that took place there. I went back and I did some more research on Lent and I found this very interesting. That during the days of Bach, the organ and the choirs were silent during the season of Lent. Here's something else you ladies may find very interesting. In early England, women of the church... Women of the parish, they traditionally spent Holy Week on their hands and their knees in the church, scrubbing the sanctuary in the church during Holy Week so that it would be spotless and shining brightly for Resurrection Sunday and Easter Sunday. I think that's something we need to reincorporate, don't you? All the guys say amen, the ladies say mm-mm. I'm just kidding right there, but there's some history. The question is, what is Lent? I mean, we've all heard it. We've all seen it. We all understand. We have loved ones and maybe friends and family or co-workers or people that really take seriously this season of Lent. I'll be honest with you, you got to understand where I was raised. I mean, it's almost like I was raised under a rock in western North Carolina. My eyes were closed to the whole rest of the world, it seems like, because on every corner where I was was a Baptist church. And I've, I've shared with you often, I was never around Catholicism, never. We had a small little Catholic church in our community. But there was a Catholic priest that was almost like a circuit-riding priest that came in once a month to hold a mass and there were maybe 15 or 20 people that even went there. Everybody that I was raised around, everyone in our community certainly was Protestant and, and, and more so Baptist than anything else. So this whole thing of how do you celebrate Lent has been relatively new to me. Now, I remember going through Bible college and we're studying other religions and other denominations. And I think I've shared this with you in the past. We study Catholicism, but I kind of checked out of the class, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, there's not really any Catholics around me. I mean, when, when am I going to be around a Catholic group of people in western North Carolina? So I just memorized enough to pass the test and then deleted it. <laughs> many, don't laugh. Many of you have done that, haven't you? You've taken tests like that, just memorize enough to pass the test, and boom, I passed the test, we're done. Well, unfortunately, that's kind of how I took that class. God does have a sense of humor, does he not? And then he plants me right in the middle of a Catholic community, and I'm like, 
God, I, I get I get it. I understand what you're doing. I should have paid more attention in class. So now I'm kind of behind the curve, and I've had to fast forward and kind of learn some things. I remember the first time that someone asked me about Lent. I was walking out of the post office in Muscoota, and it was during the season of Lent. I was the new pastor in town. It was 1999, and an individual came up to me and said, Well, Pastor, what do you think about Lent? I immediately, my mind went to my jacket, I promise you. And I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't trying to be funny. I wasn't trying to be cute. I, I've never been around it. My, my mind immediately went to my jacket. And I started, I really thought he was asking about Lent. And I thought I had Lent on my jacket. Seriously. That's how dumb I was to this time of year. Simply because I've never been around it my whole life until I moved here. Okay? So will you give me some grace right there, will you? All right? Give me some grace right there, and I'm going to try to share with you. So since then, I'm thinking, man, this is a serious time for a lot of folks. I, I remember another time that um, I won't go into all my stories. I'll just show you how dumb I was. Just, I was just dumb on this whole subject, okay? Ash Wednesday, I'd never heard of that. I really, I'd never heard of it, okay? And you got to remember, this is, this is before Internet, okay? And th- these are the days before Internet, before Facebook, before Twitter, before social media, Really, before satellite TV, we had the local stations that we had a little antenna we put up outside the house, and, and you turned a little rotary box, and the antenna went, and, whoa, whoa, too far, back it up, turn it back, and then when that broke, guess what my job was? My job would stand outside and physically turn it while someone's inside yelling, that's good, that's good. Do you guys have any idea? What, the older generation knows exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe the younger don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I guess what I'm trying to say is the information highway was really not there. Now, if you need to know something, you Google it, right? Hey, what is that? Ehow.com. There's how you do it. I mean, we, we have, we're just overloaded with information. Back in the day, we weren't. And so I didn't know anything about this thing called Lent, nor did I know anything really about Ash Wednesday. You see, the Bible college that I went to was an independent Baptist Bible college, and Man, they did not stray from the book. They taught you the word of God and not the tradition and practices of man. And so, therefore, I was just missed out on all that stuff. And I remember it was Ash Wednesday, 1999, one of my first years here. And I'm seeing these kids, and they got stuff on their forehead. And I said, son, what's that on your head? You got something on your head. You need to wipe that off. Now, I'm the pastor of the church, okay, at Baptist Church, and... And he's, he looked at me like, I can't wipe that off. I mean, <laughs> he, he had this fear. And another one, what's that on your, you got something on your forehead. You need to wipe that off. And finally they said, the priest put that on there. And I said, what is that? And I come to find out, you guys know this story. I know it all too well now. Ash Wednesday, it's the uh, palm branches that were used from the previous Easter um, Sunday, and they've been burned, they've been kept all year long. They are now sanctified, and the little cross is put on the forehead by the priest as he dips his finger in the ashes, and he says something like, go sin no more, focus on Christ, something of that nature, and you wear that as a symbol of starting Lent and Ash Wednesday. There may be more to it than that. This is a Baptist perspective on this, okay? From someone that really doesn't know. So therefore, I've been studying this subject, and I, it's really intrigued me. You know, here's what I do know. Maybe here's what I do wish. I do wish that we as Protestants, as we as Baptists, we as born-again believers, would take seriously this time leading into Easter. 
Amen? A lot of times we just flippantly go through it and it's all about the Easter bunny and the eggs and the Easter egg hunts and let's all so you can dress the Gnosis on Easter Sunday and we come in and it's over. Maybe there's something we can learn from this season called Lent. Maybe there's something that we could start applying to our hearts and our life to take more seriously this time, this 40 days of trial and testing, the time that Jesus was in the wilderness all the way now from that time or from the Ash Wednesday to Resurrection Sunday. Maybe there's something we can learn. So with that being said, I've tried to put together a series of messages, and these are just now coming. These are hot off the press, guys, I tell you. These are just now coming to me. And, and as my studies and just getting into God's Word, I think there's something we can learn. So I want to begin a short series from now to Easter Sunday, simply just titled, A Biblical Perspective on Lent. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, God, I stand totally dependent upon you this day. And Lord, I am in need of you. And as you're opening my eyes to some traditions of man around me, help me not to be cynical of that. And God, the times that I have been, I pray you forgive me. For that's a wrong spirit. And God, I pray for times when we as a church or maybe individuals in our congregations have been cynical. Convict us, God. Draw us to you. Help us to take seriously this time of year going into the crucifixion and then resurrection Sunday. Speak to our hearts today, O oh God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Read the story of a man. First word out of his mouth was, there's nothing wrong with me. The police officer pulled him aside and said, Sir, you've been in a serious car accident. You have bleeding on the outside. You have severe bruising on your body. Please let us check you out. He yells again, very upset and angry. There's nothing wrong with me. The police officer says, Sir, listen, we have a doctor here on the scene. We have the ambulance that's sitting right here. It will not take very long. Please let them check you out. He says, I told you there's nothing wrong with me. He calls his wife on his cell phone. She pulls up. He leaves the scene. He gets in her car. She drives him home. He gets to the house. A few hours later, he dies laying on the couch. You know what he died of? Internal bleeding. You know, one of the most dangerous statements that we can say is, there's nothing wrong with me. Would you agree? Spiritually, it can be one of the most damning statements that we ever make when we say, there's nothing wrong with me. Can you imagine the audacity of an individual standing before a holy God and saying, there's nothing wrong with me. What's the opposite of that statement? The opposite of that statement would be an individual standing before God and saying there's everything wrong with me. But unfortunately, we've all seen 
both types of people in the church. That group of people that says, there's nothing wrong with me. And the other group of people says, there's everything wrong with me. I guess the question I would like to ask you is, which are you? I think as we start unpacking the thought, what is Lent? And as we look into God's Word, I think we can start digging out the answers to that question. And the first place that I would love for us to park and glean from and unpack will be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, in verses 9 and following. Look what the Bible says. Please turn there in your Bible. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to a temple complex to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Verse 11. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Greedy and unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth. Of everything that I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector. Standing far off. Would not even raise his eyes to heaven. But kept striking his his chest. And saying. God. Turn your wrath from me. A sinner. Then Jesus wraps up the story in verse 14. I tell you. This one went down to his house. Justified. Rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What exactly is Lent? What is it all about? I think we can find the answer to those questions as we focus on this story that Jesus tells us about these two men that were polar opposites in life. Here I think we can get to the heart of what this season really is about. One is standing there before God and saying, there's nothing wrong with me. The other is standing there with his head down and will not even look up and says, there's everything wrong with me. One is a picture of what Lent is not. The other is a picture of what Lent is. And as we start unpacking this, I think you're going to be able to see what Jesus is pulling out of this scripture. And I think with what he's showing us here, we can get to the heart of the issue about what we call Lent really is. So let me lay the backdrop. Who is the audience? Who is Jesus speaking to? Look, if you will, in Luke 18 and verse number 9. Look what he says. But he also told this parable. Who's he telling it to? To some who trusted, get this, in themselves. 
<laughs> can, you get, can you believe there's people out there like that? There were people out there like that in Jesus' day. People who just trusted in themselves. That's the audience. That's who Jesus is speaking to. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they looked down on everyone. Have you seen those people with that very condescending spirit, self-righteous arrogance about them before? Have you seen them? We all have. And God help us if that spirit is prevalent at Victory Church. Amen? I detest it. I'll be honest with you. It, it eats at me. Whenever I see self-righteous, holier-than-thou, condescending Christian. I'm just trying to share what's on my heart, okay? I can't stand that. Because you know who I am and you know who you are? We're the individual standing before God and saying, God, there's everything wrong with me. Amen? The audience that Jesus is speaking to is this group of Pharisees. These people that were very confident in their own righteousness. They were very condescending. They looked down on everyone. There's nothing wrong with me. Jesus tells this story to that group of people. Now, here's what I want you to see about the story. There's two men, right? There's the Pharisee and the tax collector. There's two men. Both, I want you to see, went to church. Both of them went to church. Both of them actually went to pray. The Pharisee... Now, listen. The Pharisees were good, clean people. I mean, they did what was right. They were good, clean people. Don't misunderstand too much about them. I mean, if we looked at the Pharisees today and they're in our church, we think, man, that's a good person. Look at all they do on the outside. Look at what they don't do. Look at what they say. Listen to what they don't say. Man, that's a good person. They were good people. I want you to see that. The Pharisees were good people. Okay? A lot of times, we, we almost paint with a broad brush how these Pharisees were just bad. But I want you to see, at the core, they were good people. But then we have the tax collector. The tax collector was evil. He swindled people out of money. I mean, he fudged the checkbook. He fudged the statements. It was all about gaining another dollar for himself. Now, there are church people that sit in churches every single week that may not have the title of a tax collector, but they have the heart of a tax collector, and it's all about greed, and it's all about money, and it's all about gain, and it's all about swindling, and it's all about using your neighbor to get more for yourself. Hello? So don't think because there's no Pharisees around, no tax collectors, that we can just dismiss this story. No, my friends, you are one of these two people. Every single one of us. We are one of the two. But I want you to see that both came to church. And I want you to see that both went to pray. 
Okay? The audience that he's speaking to is the Pharisee. The setting is they've come to church. What did they come to church for? To pray. Who are the two people that came to pray? The Pharisee and the tax collector. Are you with me in the story so far? Okay? Let's dig a little deeper at the Pharisee. Look, if you will, in verse number 11. The Pharisee came to church and he prayed a prayer something like this in verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. (laughs) I can't help but chuckle. (sighs) Heaven's sakes. Really? I thank you that I'm not like other people. And then he kind of lists some of their attributes. They're greedy. They're unrighteous. They're adulterers. Or I'm thankful that I'm not even like this tax guy. And now he looks around. When he should have been focusing on God, now he's looking around. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like him. Can you imagine the audacity of praying a prayer such as this in church? Do you know what, the, do you know what he was praying about? He was praying about himself. Listen to what he said. He said, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I get. His prayer was all about himself. Maybe you could sum his prayer up like this. God, I thank you that there is nothing wrong with me. Possibly we could sum his prayer up like that. But wait a minute. Maybe he's got a point. Stay with me here. Maybe he has a point. I mean, he's living a good life. On the outside, he is a very good citizen. He obeys the law. He's moral. He's upright. He even did the religious things well. He fasted twice a week. He paid tithe. He gave 10% of everything. I mean, this is a good guy. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? This is a good guy. I mean, really, every pastor would want a guy like this in his church. Are you with me this morning? I mean, he's going to tithe. He's going to pray. He's going to set the example. He's going to fast. He's going to obey the law when he gets outside the church. I mean, understand, this is a good guy. Look at the tax collector. Jesus now focuses our attention in verse number 13 on the tax collector. And he shares a little bit of his story. Now understand that the tax collector is the opposite of the Pharisee. The tax collector had been out stealing money from people his whole life. He had been ruining lives of others so that he could live it up on a bed of ease. He knew that his whole life was a disaster. The tax collector knew that he deserved to go to hell when he died. Therefore, the Bible says that he stood afar off. The tax collector came to church and he stood afar off. He wouldn't even raise his head. He wouldn't even walk up to the front of the temple. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He was so ashamed of his sin that he smote himself on the breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Hmm. Would you say that his prayer is the opposite of the Pharisees? Maybe his prayer was something like, God, there is everything wrong with me. In verse 14, Jesus goes on to say that the sinful tax collector 
was the one who was forgiven by God and not the perfect Pharisee. My question to you, my friends, is why? Why was, why was the tax collector forgiven and not this outstanding moral citizen that's doing everything right in the community and everything right in the church? And we, we as finite, sinful, judgmental believers would look at a person like this Pharisee and embrace them into our church and say, you are the kind of person that we're looking for. When Jesus looked a little bit further and said, guys, we got to be careful about having a judgmental spirit and judging everybody by the do's and the don'ts on the outside of their life. We must be, can I just say it, careful. Are y'all with me this morning? I, I was real excited about it, but I'm kind of questioning the response that I'm getting here. The tax collector was forgiven. The good man was not. One went away justified. The other did not. My question to you, please, someone answer. My question to you is, why? Why was the tax collector forgiven? Oh, I know. He was humble. Yeah, that's it. Boy, if we just, if we just humble ourselves. Really? I don't really think that's it. What is Jesus saying here? Is Jesus saying that you earn your forgiveness of sins simply by being humble? Is that how it works? God looks over the portals of heaven. I'm going to forgive that man. He is so humble. And if that's how it works, then we may leave. We may think, boy, I just need to be humble. But my question is, how humble do you need to be? I mean, how humble do I need to be in order to receive forgiveness from God? And how many times do I need to be humble? And how will I ever know if I am humble enough? And therefore, I'm going to live the rest of my life just working my way through, hoping that at the end, I've been humble. Friends, listen, he was not forgiven simply because he was humble. Hello? It goes much deeper than that. But there's a lot of people that think that that's how it works. They think, boy, if I could just do these outward things that I will be forgiven. Listen, if that's why God forgives, then we will never know at what level humility that we need to get to so that we can have assurance of our salvation. Now, here's the truth of the whole matter. The truth of the matter is that the Pharisee nor the tax collector, neither one of these guys deserved God's forgiveness. Neither one of them did. Did they? I mean, you think about the Pharisee, you think about how conceited he was, you think about how self-righteous he was, you think about how he thought he was better than everybody else, you think about how he thought he was so perfect, he didn't deserve God's forgiveness. And obviously we know the tax collector did not deserve God's forgiveness for the terrible life that he had lived. Here's the point I want you to see. Neither one of these men deserves God's forgiveness. So why did God forgive one? 
We've called ourselves in a quandary, have we not? Why did God forgive him? He was forgiven purely out of God's mercy. Let me unpack that. As a result of his undeserved love, God forgives people. God forgives because of his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, who died on the cross. And the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that the iniquities, the sins of the entire world were placed on him at Calvary. And God chooses to forgive out of his mercy whenever an individual comes and says, Lord, there is everything wrong with me. And then the great thing about the doctrine of justification and imputation is the fact that now all of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is now imputed upon us as believers, not for anything we have done, simply because we come to the cross and we say, God, we smote ourselves on the breast and we say, God, there is everything wrong with me. And listen, friends, I don't know of a time in your life when that prayer should change I don't care how long you've been a Christian I don't care how long you've gone to church that prayer and that spirit and that brokenness and that humility and that sinful spirit it should never change God everything's wrong with me God everything is still wrong with me I don't deserve your goodness. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve your son. I don't deserve anything. I hope you can see it. I'm a little bit passionate about this today. Because friends, none of us, I don't care how good of a Christian you may be, none of us deserve forgiveness. And every day, we should come before God. We should smote ourselves on the breast. We shouldn't even look up. Just bow ourselves and say, God, there's everything wrong with me. So what is Lent? I believe the humble picture of this tax collector is a very good picture of what Lent could be. A season when we recognize that we do not deserve God's favor. We do not deserve His goodness. We do not deserve His blessings. We do not deserve His forgiveness, friends. It's only out of His mercy and out of His wonderful plan. And us saying, God, there's everything wrong with me. Forgive me, a sinner. Then, then we can have forgiveness. I think the proud Pharisee is the opposite of Lent. And so my question to you is, which one are you? You know, how will you observe Lent this year? And you say, that's really coming from a Baptist preacher? Yeah, it is. Now, do you plan to maybe get involved in more religious activities? I know there are those who plan on giving up something for Lent, whether it be a TV show, chocolates, music, red meat... 
But you know something, guys? Lent really is about self-denial, but it's far deeper than that. You know, I'm not going to slam anybody that's doing those things as long as they understand doing those things. Just simply doing those things will not merit their forgiveness. It goes deeper. It's more about the issue of the heart and repentance. In 1 Corinthians 11:28, Paul wrote and he said, A man should examine himself. You know what I think we should do? Going into this season of the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord... I think we should examine ourselves. We should look at our heart. We should ask the Holy Spirit of God to search our heart and to convict us. Maybe there are some things we need to give up. But instead of giving up chocolates, instead of giving up Facebook, instead of giving up red meat, why don't you give up the sin of hypocrisy? Maybe instead of giving up these other minor things, why don't you give up the sin of hypocrisy? In other words, you're acting like a Christian on the outside, but you are so stinking full of self-centeredness and pride on the inside that it is disgusting to the heart of God. Let's give that up. Why don't we give up the sin of duplicity? Just live in dual lives. Oh, on Sunday we come in and we put our smile on and we got our Bible under our hand or on our iPod or our iPad and, man, we're, yeah, we are serving Jesus. But really we live like the world on Friday night and Saturday night. We drink and party and raise cane and, and, I mean, the world can't tell you're a Christian. So instead of giving up Facebook and chocolates and a TV show, why don't you give up the sin of duplicity? Maybe there's another sin we need to give up. What about the sin of being lethargic? That's the sin of saying, oh, maybe I'll do all that next year. I'm just going to lay back, kind of get through this one. I'll get serious about all that stuff later. Listen, friend, there may be no later for you. You may walk out of this auditorium today and meet your destiny, meet your God. There's no guarantee that you'll be here next Sunday, let alone next year. So maybe there are some things that through Lent we should do without but instead of putting away chocolate, have you ever noticed the ones that put away chocolate are the ones that want to lose 5 to 10 pounds? What is really the motivating factor for putting away the chocolate? Come on, who do you think you're fooling? Don't you think God is a lot more wise than we? <laughs> so what is Lent? In summary, let me give you these six things. I'm going to hit them real fast. You won't even have time to write them down. If you'd like to have my notes, shoot me a tweet, Facebook message, email, whatever. I'll just email you all my notes. So what is Lent? Six things. I'm going to be unpacking some of these over the next few weeks. What is Lent? Let me give them to you real quickly. Lent is that time when man stood at the back of the temple and looked down on the ground and prayed to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Number two, Lent is the time for us to search our hearts and repent of our sinful habits and our sinful attitudes and stand before God. Number three. Lent is a time to ask Christ to forgive us, to wash away our sins, to empower us, to turn away from our sinful past, and to live new lives that are dedicated to Him. Number four, Lent is also a time to give up our guilty feelings. Boy, I deal with this a lot in counseling. Lent is also a time for us to give up our guilty feelings. Just as the tax collector walked home justified before God, so we can walk away knowing that we have been forgiven. 
We no longer have to feel guilty for the sins of the past. We no longer have to beat ourselves up for the way that we used to live. We no longer have to think about, am I forgiven or not? You, my friends, have been forgiven. Your sins have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ paid your sacrifice on the cross. Quit feeling guilty. Once you've pleaded national forgiveness, walk away in the newness of life with your eyes focused on the cross. Number five, Lent is an attitude of honesty and humility as we confess our sins to God. Number six, Lent is also an attitude of, get this one, relief and joy, knowing that our sins have been forgiven and that our Lord has wiped the the slate clean. Amen? That one I'll probably say for Resurrection Sunday. So my, my friends, I ask you a question. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Right now, over the next several weeks, I think it's a time for you to look deep within your heart, to look deep within your life, to think about how you've been living. Let me ask you a question. What sins do you need to seek forgiveness of today? I want to encourage you. Jesus will forgive you of your sins. If you'll stand before a holy God the way this tax collector did and he smote himself on his breast of his chest and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you pray that prayer and you plead and ask for his forgiveness, he says, I'll do it. Maybe there's some here this morning that need to do that. Maybe as you look at your life, you realize, man, I have not been living a life that's pleasing unto God. Right now, I want to pray and ask God to forgive me. Father, Right now, God, I believe you've spoken to hearts. Thank you, God, for this message that you burned on my spirit and my heart today. Oh, God, help us to not flippantly just walk through life without any regard, without any thought on the price and the cost that you paid so that we could have a relationship with you. God, Christianity is not about a list of things that we put off for 40 days. It's not necessarily about putting off chocolates and Facebook and red meats. But it is about searching deep within our spirit and our heart. and Searching our hearts and praying that the Holy Spirit of God would finger around in our lives and forgive us. Convict us so that we can plead and beg and ask for forgiveness God I pray if there's one here today that is is not in right standing with you that today will be the day when they would stand like the tax collector and just plead for your mercy and for your forgiveness Father I pray right now someone will pray a prayer like this say dear God If this is you, pray this silently in your heart right now. Say, dear God, that's me. He's been speaking to me this morning. I'm the one 
God, right now, that just needs to pray. You've convicted me. God, right now, I confess my sin or my sins to you. I just pray you would forgive me. That you would be my Lord. That you would be my Savior. That you would draw me in and help me, God, to experience true forgiveness that only comes from you. And then help me rise up and walk in the newness of life and the power of the gospel. To live out this new life and walk away, turn away, to repent. A 180 degree direction from the way I used to walk. And help me walk towards the cross. Give me power to do that, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.